welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise our old work. I am DC McNaughton, and I am currently in the... Uh, I am not <laughs> I am in the edit. I am in the editing tr trenches at the moment, and I cried a lot this week. It was super great. Um, had a great time. Went to the beach. Just kidding. It's fucking cold. Uh, um, and I am currently reading. Uh, I went back to read The Goldfinch by Donna Tart again because <laughs> I really wanted to read it again because it's such good writing, and I just wanted to spend some time with some good writing. So. I'm also reading a, a the Beekeeper's Bible by I cannot remember his name because I want to keep bees. Um, that's so cool. That's it. Thanks. I'm excited. <laughs> um. Oh, and that would be me. <laughs> I'm Avery Ames. I write adult fantasy. Um. I am also in the like trenches of revising, except I'm at the beginning of this pass instead of the end. Um but hopefully the last pass for a while. Um, and what I'm reading is, um, I'm kind of between books. I just finished one. Um, I finished recently Winter's Orbit um, by Everina Maxwell, which I really liked. Uh, it was very fun. It was very cute. And it had a lot of like pining and fanficy goodness. And it was very much my jam. And so today, yeah, we're going to be talking. This is, oh, I I'm sorry. I was going to say my usual uh, disclaimer. Oh, I was going to introduce the topic. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Sorry. I read. <laughs> I had, I did not read the script, frankly. I'm just sitting here over here in like La La Land. Go ahead, please. Go for it. So today we're going to discuss uh, how to sta handle standalones versus a series and how do you plan each and how do you, de you decide if an idea is meant to be a standalone, duology, trilogy, etc. And this is our usual reminder uh, that writing is not all about rules. Uh, when we're writing, we sometimes tend to break them as well. There's not going to be a lot of rule talk today, but always got to give that yeah. disclaimer. Uh, we're both firm believers that if the rules feel too suffocating or overwhelming, ignore them and just write. Yeah. And so the drink for this episode, I'm not going to hold the whole thing up to the camera for those on the live stream because that feels like a recipe for disaster over my keyboard. But I did the series drink, so I made a series of rainbow-colored shots. I'll hold up one. The first one is blue. Um, and I will be doing them throughout the episode. So if those of you in chat want to remind me every eight to ten minutes to do another one, I will. Um, but I do want to mention I did very thorough calculations of the amount of alcohol in them. They are actually very mild shots since I have to do six of them. They're, they're very low alcohol. Altogether, these have about as much booze as a little less than two balanced cocktails. We're not going to poison anybody today. <laughs> um, and my take on that, uh, I did a standalone drink since we're talking about series and standalones today. And I just put my little rainbow glass. Oh. So you can't really see it oh, on it's, my camera because yeah, it's being blinking a different head. colors. But yeah, it's having the rainbow all in one place and then spilling it all over yourself because... <laughs> yeah, uh, so I kind of did your ingredients for your series of cocktails and, and then just put them all in a in a single glass with a little rainbow light on it, which I'm going to turn off now before I have a seizure. It's very, um, it's, yeah, it's it's going. It's like a whole little rave going on there. Um, and I should mention the <laughs> ingredients are actually just a combination of blue curacao, pineapple juice, cranberry juice, 
and vodka just in different amounts to create the different colors. So I'll try to remember to hold each one up as I do it, but I guess I'll do the first one now. Uh, we're going to start with the blue because while I balanced the, the total of them, some of the drinks themselves are a little stronger than others and blue is the strongest. So we're just going to get that one out of the way first. So it's cheers. Cheers. There you go, blue. There's book oh, one. Oh, that's so sweet. Like oh, that. blue curacao. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's Gross. like orange candy. Ooh, it's not really very... I don't know if there is classy blue curacao, but this is this is not it. Oh, okay. Back when I was a kid, blue curacao was pretty fancy. I was like, <laughs> that was back when I was drinking like the from the gallons of like cheap mm -hmm. vodka and stuff. And I like blue curacao was like. Yeah, the chat says blue <laughs> curacao requires a lot of cutting. Yeah. Sure yeah. Does. And all the other drinks that have a, just a tint of blue, there's just a teeny bit of it. But that one I, I kind of had to to up the blue curacao and it's that's basically all that's in it it's blue curacao and vodka and it's yeah very sweet okay we're just gonna go into the topic <laughs> uh i'm gonna let you i'm yeah i'm gonna let you open this topic okay. since i'm a little apparently <laughs> don't know when to talk tonight and i just having one of those days this episode's gonna kind of be just basically anything that has to do with stand writing standalones writing series um, so we just kind of have like a list of bullet, like collected bullet points about those topics. So I guess our first one, this is kind of a ease us into the topic is, do you have a preference for writing one over the other? And if so, why? And if not, why? Um, for me, I, I have done both. Um, you kind of like to thread the needle. What does that mean? <laughs> like you write the ones that they can stand on their own, but they are connected. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. I do like that. Um, I did do that. I remember I did kind of make my first, when I first wrote a book, it was, a, it was a series book. And then someone in the writing community was like, you should make your series so that they can stand alone on their own because like people might not like it. Uh, and then you have to make it a standalone anyway. So make sure that you have an ending. So I ended up like making it able to stand alone. But I remember when I first wrote it, I actually didn't want to. I was very set on having it be a four book series and I had my head in the clouds and I, you know what? I still stand by that book. I still want it to be four books. And I'm, when I do get the chance to finish it, it will be a series. Um, I enjoy writing the, the standalones too, because it's like one and done. That's it. It feels so much better. Um, the chat says you're Brandon Sanderson no, just, in training. Someone just said, I'm, am I a Brandon Sanderson in training? I think I, think I want to be because I have this whole universe thing set up and I and I have all of my books are interconnected and I really like that. But yeah, I do let them stand alone. Like I have the the one of the characters in my book that I'm working on now is actually related to somebody in my series, but you don't need to know that to read the book. So I guess in a way, maybe I will be Brandon Sanderson someday. You're, you're building the DC mirror. Yeah, I, I sure hope so, because he's a, he's got money. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have some of that dollars. That sweet, sweet Brandon Sanderson monies. I'm going to spend it all on my queer agenda. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of like both, but I, the more I write, the more I'm like standalones. Because... <laughs> Series do require a different approach, and I find that I am more suited towards a standalone. Um, and a lot of that has to do with kind of another topic we'll go into here is like how much you plan versus how much you are a pantser. 
and I find that my ideas just work better when I can fit them into one book. Um, I say as I'm like sitting on the second book in the Kambiari series, which is at least three books, maybe four. It depends on how the third one's going to play out. Cancer. Um, yeah, so I think the more I, I keep telling people, I'm like, I will never write a series again. And I will probably someday eat those words. You got to make sure you're attached to those characters if you're going to write multiple books mm -hmm. about them. Because, man, like the last book I finished, like I enjoyed making that. But like, I could never imagine that being a series because I just didn't like the characters enough. Like, but yet my other my first book, I'm like, I want to go write more about those characters right now. I could just sit and work with those characters for literally 20 years, which is sometimes what you got to do if you're going to like make it big time and write a series. Yeah. It's a commitment. And I mean, I. I do like my characters in my series. I think for me, it's like a complexity of the story thing. It's, it's very, it's just, it's a lot, a lot of, a lot more to juggle. So when someone in chat says, or, or hear me out, hate your characters and give them the day they deserve. <laughs> just one just day. One. Just, just one. So since we do do both of them. When you're kind of coming up with an initial idea, how do you decide if it's going to be a series or a standalone? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I usually don't know until I'm like in the weeds and I'm like, this is a bigger idea than one book. And then I have to reformulate my plans. I always go in thinking it's going to be one book and sometimes it is not. Yeah, you know, I guess I was going to say, I don't know what that's like because my books, like, I'm like, it's either a hard yes, this is probably going to be a series because look how big my idea is or like a no. Um, but actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like I have two future me book projects that I want to work on and neither one of them am I set on the fact, like, I don't know if they're going to be a duology or a single book, but there is one that I'm like, I want to be popular enough that I can just write a 500,000 word book, have it be a standalone and have people actually buy that. That would be great. Like, cause I don't want to split it up. I want it to be in one tome. Yeah. I, want tome I want the tome. You know? I want a fucking tome, but that's not realistic, right? Everybody's like, you get, there's not money in tomes. There's money in multiple books no there's there's money in tomes you just gotta like build your cred which sucks but it's time so i'm going to do the green wow that's very green wow do the green shot oh that one is much more tolerable that one's mostly pineapple <laughs> <laughs> that's juicy um i do love pineapple um we do have someone in chat that says i let my characters tell me if it's a series or a standalone <laughs> sometimes that's <laughs> the best way to do it yeah which is true because you just have to, I think you you had a good point when you were like, you just look at the scope of the story. Mm -hmm. um, like the, the I am currently the two that I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between one is the second book in a series and one is a standalone. When I came up with the idea for the standalone, I knew it was one book because I was just like, that's, that's it. There's like a little story. Yeah. And there's, there's not more there. Whereas the, the other one was more, epic in scope there's more problems they have to solve and so yeah i think you just kind of know also the characters that are the most chaotic usually end up building series because they keep causing more problems i will say every once in a while in a beta group that one person will appear and they've probably never written a book outside of this series that they're working on, but they have this, their mindset on the fact that they're going to write this seven, eight book series. And I'm like, why? Like, why? 
I get mad about it. Like, why would you? Why would you want to tie yourself to an eight book series if you want to like and not work on anything else or try to work on anything else when you're querying, especially if nobody likes, you know, if nobody well, not necessarily likes, but nobody picks up the first book and then uh, and then they run into this thing where like actually no. It's not going to be seven. It's going to be 13. I'm going to make 13 books. And I'm like, <laughs> are you fucking thinking at this point? Like, I, like, I, I will, you know, there are some series out there that are 13 uh-huh. books long, but I am like, do you think it's cooler to have a bigger number? Because that's wrong. And I hope that if you do have a series like that, you're, you have a series that big because you've looked at the scope of it and you thought, you know what, this might need 13 books. And that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but if you're like, I just want to make this as long as fucking possible, <laughs> like, I mean, either do it because you want to, because that I'm always game for that. But if you want, if you're wanting to, like, publish it and stuff, I'm like, try to just, you know, keep yourself, keep yourself a little bit, uh, what's the, I want to find a nice <laughs> word for this. Keep yourself reined in just a touch because you don't want to end up, like, you know, cornering yourself in a dark box you don't want to be in, Yeah, I guess. Don't sign a contract. You can't necessarily, like, obviously go for it. Like, try it. Try to write 13 books. I'll do it. But, like, don't get married to the idea that somebody might be super into that because 13 books is a lot, my friend. I will also say this kind of, we're bouncing around topics a little bit, but this brings up something which is genre and how that affects series. Um, because nowadays I don't read long series very much um, because I'm commitment phobic when it comes to books now, but I used to. <laughs> and some of the series I read that had 15 books were urban fantasy. Urban fantasy is very known for having these long running mm-hmm. series because they have almost an episodic like monster of the week quality to them. So like each one is like an episode mm-hmm. of you know Supernatural or Buffy or something like that in, in scope. And right. Because of that, they do tend to lend themselves to long series. They are also pretty, even though they're not usually tiny books, they're pretty quick reads the way they're written. No, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't consider that because there are books like, you know, that, that are just like, I f- there's a lot of, especially young yeah. adult books that do that. And I think, I think that's pretty cool, actually, like, because that way you can, as a young adult, like get attached to a character and then just like follow it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, there's actually a series that the kiddo reads and it, it's actually a middle grade series and she has grown out of middle grade but still reads that series for nostalgic value but it's on like book nine now and she's still into it and they're huge they're yeah. enormous for middle grade books it made me real mad when i saw the first one because i was like there's no way you were in the standard word count for middle grade and you've still got a deal <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you can be the exception yeah and everybody's like Try to don't try to be the exception, and I'm over here like you know what? If you want to try to be the exception, you yeah. freaking do that. You you go for yeah, it. There's no do reason it. not to try. Know, you know? Just know that that go there are it. odds. <laughs> Just go in with yeah. Yeah. reasonable expectations, but shoot your shot. Going back to our bullet list here, where were we at? Oh, how does your planning process differ between long series versus short series versus a standalone? And how far ahead do you sort out your outline for something like a long series? I'm looking at you, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he planned out the first yeah. like four books and it is like, mm-hmm. oh no, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. 
Did you want to go out first on this one? Um, I will, but I'm going to do another shot. Do a shot. Yeah. This one is this one is mostly pineapple again, but it just doesn't have nice. any blue in it. There's yellow. Yep, there's yellow. Spicy. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I think that one, because it didn't have the blue curacao in it, had more vodka. And someone says, wouldn't you develop a larger cast for a series so that it takes longer to resolve all the requisite plot points, such as Sanderson? That makes sense to, like, develop like a bigger cast for a series and i think part of that's just kind of a natural growth of like the story getting bigger mm -hmm. like as you plot but yeah with for me that's part of the reason i want to stick to standalones is that the the planning process for a long series feels very tricky to me like i don't i don't know how you do that i'm not an outliner yeah so i i feel like there's got to be a book series out there that's pretty long that doesn't have you know a the thing is about elantris if you read if you've read his other books uh like for instance uh the the stormlight archive there's not nearly as many characters in elantris as there as there are in the stormlight archive and the, the stormlight stormlight archive is planned out to be like some 14 book series or something and there's gonna be over like literally 200 characters or something i'm not kidding you he said this uh-huh I, I feel like there's gotta be an example out there somewhere where someone hasn't done this i i have kind of an example um the robin hop books yeah it is a long series and there are it's kind of weird because they're like trilogies and each trilogy is like can stand on its own but they kind of carry through but if you look at especially the Fitz books which are like nine of the books are all about Fitz and his cast of characters and it for an, a book that epic the cast of characters actually isn't enormous it's the core cast is pretty small mm -hmm. um it just goes through a long period of time um and i kind of see the other series as just like meanwhile <laughs> right elsewhere in the world um but they're kind of all tying into this main cast yeah the user said actually what they meant was that elantris is kind of different in that it's ducking the fantasy must be a serious trope by using so many characters in a standalone and that one now that you say it like yeah no there's not a lot of books out there with a big cast that are just one one book i think there are probably some but yeah, it is, it is a little harder to fit multiple characters like that into one book. But also, um, and this is just me knowing a lot about Brandon <laughs> Sanderson here. Um, Elantris was, the thing about Brandon Sanderson is he loved to write big books. So Elantris, I think as, as far as I know, a lot of the books that he was trying to make his debut were standalones. And they all had a lot of characters and they were all over 200,000 words. They some of them were over three hundred thousand words. Those were the kinds of books he liked to write. Um, and finally, uh, an editor gave him a chance on Elantris and said, "You know what? Fine. You know, let's do this. Um, because you're so prolific. You know, let's try it out. At least I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And so you did end up with a book like Elantris that is a standalone, but it also has a huge cast of characters, which I do think and do agree that it is one of the few out there." that does break that sort of trope and, and it works um elantris was successful um and began his career i'm trying to remember because it's been a while since i've read it so i was trying to remember how many i remembered that it did have like a multi-pov main characters yeah. but i couldn't remember how many side characters there are there's a lot of side characters there's three perspectives and then there's like a lot of side characters uh it's a it's a 
it's more than I think Miss. I, I think it's bigger than the Miss Born main cast, honestly, because I think each of the perspective characters kind of has one or two friends that that the book deals with. But that book is also very big for a standalone. Most people in that position would have been told cut it in two. Um, and he wasn't because he was one of those exceptions where he had annoyed a certain amount of people enough <laughs> times and they were like, all right, fine, 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 just shut the fuck up. <laughs> we'll edit the damn book. Let's do it. Let's do Elantris. Yes. Uh, Chat said with secondaries, Elantris exceeds the cast of Westborn yep. 1 and 2. Yep. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Yep. Yeah. It's just, it's been a while since I've read all of them. So I was trying to remember. Yeah, so you can put a lot of characters in one book. You can, uh, and Brandon Sanderson is excellent at it. Um, I think Elantris was not, it was kind of weak just because the female character was really weak, but whatever, that's my own opinion. Um, <laughs> but he was also, that was his debut. So, you know, everybody learns and grows and, and I love Brandon Sanderson, so. Yeah, and I think it depends on specifically the scope and size of the book. Mm -hmm. um, there are standalones that are you know cozy mysteries where you really only want to have you know eight characters because you only have a few real suspects and detectives and stuff and then you've got your standalone epic fantasies that they're standalone but they're five hundred thousand words and they've got a huge cast so yeah genre plays into it expectations the scale of the book mm -hmm. um but cast size can also you you can <clears throat> subvert it but it can also be like an indicator of okay, how big is this story? Yeah. Um, for me, honestly, the deciding win, like I said before, I the series that I'm writing, I thought was one book. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I was a baby writer. <laughs> and I wrote it. And I was like, this is all one book. And it was like almost 300,000 words. And then people are like, you have to cut this into multiple books. And I'm like, that can't be done. And <laughs> turns out it can. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of work. I didn't realize that. So. I think also kind of identifying your core plot beats. If you if you kind of have a picture of the whole story in your head, once I wrote the whole book and was like, this is one book and people are like, you have to cut it apart. And I'm like, well, then where are my climaxes? Yeah. And I had to figure out how to cut it into three rising <clears throat> actions, climaxes, rising actions, climaxes. And that's kind of tricky when you're planning a series if you have not done it before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, going back to the original question about how do you plan a series versus a standalone, I guess my way of putting it in one sentence <laughs> is my outline for my standalones have a single word document. <laughs> Whereas my series, they have an Aeon timeline, um, which is a, program we should probably list in the uh references aeon timeline yeah. um document they have i have a scrivener or not scrivener yeah scrivener right wait scrivener, yeah. what it's called yeah scrivener i have a scrivener file i have <laughs> i have a whole folder full of documents i have so many more things and mm -hmm. the aeon timeline one actually kind of helps with the sorting out of the bigger idea um yeah. the you know because it's it's an epic it takes course over the you know generations and when you have something that's generational you need a lot more to build on not saying that every um series is multi-generational but for me that's the biggest difference um yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, for those who aren't familiar, Aeon Timeline is a software. Like I said, we'll link it in the show notes later. But it's it's literally a software for building timelines. Mm-hmm. And it's very good if you're writing epic fantasy. Um, but this does kind of lead really well into the next topic I had on our bullet points, which is making a series Bible or encyclopedia. <laughs> if you're writing a large series or a long series or even a, a single standalone with many, many characters, you might want to do this. <laughs> um, I had to do it for my series when I got partway through book two and realized I was just forgetting details. I'm like, fuck, what color are this character's eyes? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. And mine, they all have like little magical abilities and like all the fairies have a distinctive smell. And so I couldn't remember who smelled like what. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like write these things down and also like world building stuff. Like what is each kingdom's major export import? I don't have a whole lot of this, but I, I kind of listed a few bullet points for each country. And so I kind of knew how they all linked together. And that's all in a binder. It's all in a big three ring binder. I printed it out. I put little, like I took pictures of celebrities and put them there as my like reference of like, this is kind of what they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's just for me. No one will else will ever see it. But keeping, it helps you keep everything in order. Um, so if you're starting to feel that like a series is getting so big that like your brain is having trouble holding it, or you have scrivener and a timeline and this you've got like a billion different little scrivener documents it can be helpful to kind of put it all in one place Mm -hmm. and you can do that either in a binder like i do because i just like physical paper but you can also do that in scrivener or in a google docs folder or something but putting all that information where you can reference it easily yeah do it early (laughs) yep yeah do it early on because that stuff is really hard to change when you like need to go back and if you have published a book, then you can't really go back to book one. But, yeah. you know, there are also people out there who have made a very successful um, careers out of not doing that. Yeah. I won't name any names, but there are some <laughs> people that don't they don't plan anything. And they say they do, but they, they don't. <laughs> um, and I mean, we all make mistakes. I've read series where characters eyes changed color like five books in. And I'm like, it happens. but doing your best to mitigate that is good because people will point it out later. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to read somebody who's very good at that, read Brandon Sanderson because he is consistent. That guy is insane. He's I I want to see his encyclopedia. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> encyclopedia is <laughs> like enough is to murder a person. Yeah. I, you know, I do that, you know, this isn't about uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but I do that with my Dungeons and Dragons games. I have a, a master file with all the different stuff in it. And there's nothing like being able to, control f a keyword and then finding all that information about it just being like that is how that works so yeah uh good call in the um the encyclopedia okay before we go into the next question it's time for drink number four shot number four this one is orange it is mostly pineapple and cranberry with a little vodka how you feeling there buddy feeling good I am getting a little tired. As much as I love pineapple, I'm getting a little tired of it. I'm glad the next (laughs) one's mostly cranberry. (laughs) But yeah, I'm starting to feel them a little bit. But like I said, they're not super, super strong. So I'm not going to be like completely smashed and incoherent. Not any more incoherent than usual. Which is great to be healthy. (laughs) So um, here's kind of some like specific problems and pitfalls we see in a trilogy. There's often the book two slump. (laughs) 
where like book two just feels like it's connecting dots between books one and three. And if people go back and reread the series, it's the one that they just skim or they skip. How do we avoid that slump in book two? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, the book two, book two, um, ah, uh, <laughs> book two, I mean, you know. For me, I think it's about giving book two its own stakes, because book one usually has building stakes, mm -hmm. and the book three is usually the big stakes, and book two is so often, like, a setup for book three, and I think... I see this, I hate to say this, but I see this more in either debut trilogies or young adult trilogies. And I think there's actually a not writing reason for that. And it's deadlines. Yeah. Yeah. I, was I think it's, it's fast deadlines and there's not as much time being taken uh -huh. to like really give book two. It's like, oh crap, we got to get to book three. We got to get to book three. Yeah, because I was because when you when you first brought it up, I was like, this is really hard to speak about because I feel like if you have the time and you have a reason for a book two, then book two syndrome wouldn't happen. Like for instance, I loved the second Artemis Fowl book. I think I, I remember liking it, and and I feel like that's because that author probably was like uh, I think his name uh, Ian Colfer. Um, he he probably was like the, he knew everything that was supposed to happen and and he that book had a very specific purpose and i think there's a lot of times when a a book uh, if if you are lucky enough to to be published uh to get a deal sometimes there are situations where you'll see on publishers marketplace so and so picked up so and so from so and so uh in a very nice three book deal and and you have to wonder to yourself did the author like did i mean what what were the thoughts behind that and how long do they have to produce book two especially with a newer author who doesn't understand that the the um a lot of older authors will be like oh you know that's just the deadline's fake but a newer author wants to be hired again and they're they have hopes and dreams so they shit out that second book and they get that deadline and then maybe book two falls a little short. And I, you know, I don't know that that's the writer's fault. We're just trying to yeah. stay hired, you know? And yeah. And that's what I was saying. I think it's a publishing issue rather than a writing issue because yeah, like I know the series that I'm writing the second book in, I'm behind where I wanted to be on releasing book two. Part of that is because the world caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after I published book one, but um, if I had been on a publisher's deadline, I would have had to force myself, like, I don't want to say force myself because I have been working on it, but I would have had to have a point where I called it, where I wasn't happy with it, but it was the deadline. And I had to put, I had to submit what I had mm -hmm. rather than sitting and refining it the time that it took. Um, and I think that that happens a lot with debut series and trilogies. Um, because of it's the first I, I've heard that the second book you write on a deadline is going to be the hardest book you ever write mm -hmm. because you the first book you had mostly done yep and then you're just revising and that second book is the first time you're writing under pressure and I think that's part of it too I think people it, it's the mental pressure probably affects the quality of your writing um so yeah I think, hell yeah it does 
yeah, I think that's just, it's kind of a, the nature of the publishing industry. But I think the ways to avoid it are, like I said, to give each book its own stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and make sure the book two is not just a setup for book three. Mm -hmm. Make it have its own plot. Another one that, once again, what a surprise, I'm going to shell for Robin Hobb. Uh, <laughs> my favorite set of those trilogies, probably tied for my favorites, are the second and third books. Like, I love the second book. It has some really interesting conflict in it. So as long as you put some good conflict in there, you're good. Yeah. Yep. I I, I, I totally agree. And I definitely, in, in many cases, wouldn't blame the writer for this. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, looking at myself, I'm like, yeah, my book twos, they, they're there because I need them there. And I'm like, yeah, but if I were writing it mm -hmm. on a deadline, like, what would that look like? And I'm like, that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> you know, kid. Yeah, really <laughs> how the is. hell am I supposed to judge book two from this side of the fence? Because I don't know what that's like, and it's got to be, you know, it's got to be scary. Yeah, and from a like a similar structural standpoint, since we're kind of talking about that, um, one of the other problems of doing a series is that each book has to have its own satisfactory conclusion, but also lead into another book. And how do you decide? how much to tie up and how much to leave loose yeah i you know that if you decide to write a series i hope you've got enough world building there for the care like for the reader to be like i gotta know what happens next even though i know what's happened you know like it you can have a cliffhanger but you don't have to like it's more about like the state of the world is the state of the world something that my reader is going to want to come back to and if it's not uh then you've lost a reader um so i don't think it's so much about a cliffhanger or like you know lead in that is does your reader want to stay in that world cliffhanger or not they've got to say yeah of course i do and also i really like the protagonist um because oftentimes the protagonist doesn't change though sometimes it does um i was gonna say for me it's about character arcs and plot arcs mm -hmm. because i try to resolve character arcs within a book um, to a certain extent, I mean, they're still going to keep growing in each book, mm -hmm. but I try to have like a particular character question or dilemma or problem that they're solving and or a relationship problem with another character. And that definitely gets resolved in each book. Of course, the next book's going to present new problems. But at the end of the book, everything seems fine yeah. <laughs> or at least concluded, um, tied up well. But then there's always some like world building thing that it's like, okay. The character went through a growth arc and learned something, but we still have to defeat the big bad. Right. Right. Having a, an overarching, like, big bad, uh, quote unquote, um, is definitely <laughs> something that's key. And I think that in my own mind, when I think about the series, you know, that I have in my head, I'm like, yeah, there's always an overarching thing that goes that goes beyond. Um, what's on the pages of book one and book two yeah um but yeah, it doesn't have yeah. to be a big bad but it has to be a bigger problem yeah yeah um i will say one of the other things that i have my problems with terry goodkind's books we're not going to get into them right now but one of the things that was interesting that he did at the time that i read his sort of truth series was that they would solve a problem at the end of the book and then the way they chose to solve the problem would create the problem for the next book like okay we use this like forbidden magic and we defeated the bad guy 
but because we opened the portal, we let in some bad thing that now we have to defeat that thing. And so, like, each book, they solved the problem, but however they solved it was the next problem. And so I'm like, that was kind of an interesting structural mm -hmm. way to handle a long series. It's one way to do it. There's definitely, definitely multiple ways. And I didn't know that about Terry Goodkind's book. So that's interesting. Yeah, At least the first few. I didn't actually read the whole series. <laughs> I've never read a Terry Goodkind. So it's good to have some perspective on what his work sort of does. Yeah. Um, and also we talked about more structural things about going from one book into another. Um, this one's actually one I've been struggling with. So I kind of would like some input. Oh! With when you're going from one book to another in a series, how do you balance the backstory and or reminding mm. the reader what happened before? Because some of your readers are going to be discovering your backlist and just binging it. And some readers are going to be reading them as they're released and may have a couple years between books and not remember what happened. And how do you do this without boring the binge readers, but not confusing the people who didn't read them all at once? I think this is really interesting that you bring this up because I have read <laughs> um, a lot of bigger epic fantasy series. Like I'm working on the Stormlight Archive. I've read Game of Thrones and um, you, I know your favorite is Robin Hobb. Uh, and, and it is funny to me because I remember the first time I read one of your second books, I said, this is too much. Uh, it was. <laughs> too, too much reminding. And the thing about it is I just started reading the second book in the Robin Hobb series and she does it a lot too. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff here that I remember reading three years ago that I don't, I don't care about. Um, <laughs> with Robin Hobb, it's fine because she writes very pretty words and it's like, you know what? I'll just swallow these whole anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, the thing about it that's the key just write it pretty you know I, that's why i read sometimes i just get pissed at the world and start reading uh charles dickens just because it's so pretty you can just sit and sip on it for hours like a good drink um but uh like for instance game of thrones and the stormlight archive there is a lot of what happens is when you meet the characters for the second time in the in the second book um they're doing something that pertains a little bit to what what their character is and what the character was doing before um and it's it's almost like a show don't tell situation in my opinion because you're you're starting basically imagine imagine yourself starting the second book in media res um you know because that's what you're doing the story's already started uh so you're you're writing this next book in media res in, in the middle of things uh and um characters are already going to be doing what they would have otherwise been doing if this second book, for instance, was book one. Um, and I think that people don't give their readers enough uh, credit as far as intelligence, um, because a lot of times um, you might even be able to pick. I think a good way to do this would be to pick up the second book of a series without picking up the first book. <laughs> And see how much you understand, because my guess is the in media res, which again means in the middle of things, um, it, it's going to be clear enough to you that you as a reader can actually solve what's going on without picking up the first book. Sure, the, the first book will have laid some groundwork that is probably very important. However, you can get the general idea. Um, and I think that when you're writing a second book, 
write it in a way that shows don't tell what the character's about, what they're doing, and then just let the book go. Like, let it happen. <laughs> like, just let it happen. Be free, little book. Yeah, Be like, free. don't sit there and harp on, last week was really hard because of this thing that we did uh, back in book one, because there was that <laughs> big war, and... You know, there was <laughs> there was fire and blood and there was so much war. And just instead, just start book two off with, you know, <laughs> so-and-so looked at their hands and they were still scraped up and they were still bloody. And uh, Amanda was still gone. That alone, like a sentence like that says mm -hmm. something bad happened. There was violence and someone's dead. That's all you need. <laughs> like. You don't need to go into yeah. the details. And that's that sort of immediate res feeling that people really love to be thrown into. And I think that's fine. I think it's interesting because you said you don't need to go into the details. But what what makes that compelling is that it is very select, compelling details. Yes. Rather than like giving a whole summary. Yes. So, yeah, I think letting people kind of connect the dots. Um, but, yeah, I think. You do want to leave like little breadcrumbs for sure for people for people who may be spaced out. But yeah, I I made the same. I made actually I made the opposite mistake first, which was I didn't put any any reminders whatsoever in. I just like plopped it right in. And um, my alpha reader was like, "Yeah, I read your other book two years ago. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I don't know what's going on or who these people. What's going on?" And so then I I aired on the other side, and that's the version you read was me being like. Well, as you know, it's so there is like yeah. a middle ground. It's it's tricky. It is. It is tricky. And and just remember that, like, even in the beginning of your first book, you if if you did things right, you were referencing to things at the beginning of the book that happened before the book. This is no different. Yeah. It's no different except True. for the fact that your readers have a baseline of information of an iceberg that's much bigger just from book one. Um, but it's you're... that's a really good way to put it. It's like it is still the same iceberg. <laughs> They've just gotten a peek at it. Yeah, yeah. It's still the same iceberg. You just little reference, and you don't need any more reference in your second book as to what happened in the first book that you need in your first book's first page about what was happening before the book started. You know, it's the same amount of information. Don't overdo it. That's that's really genius. I'm gonna like I'm gonna go back and look at my book too with that. <laughs> Mine. I'm also going to do my next shot, which is the red shot. Yay! It's mostly cranberry. My artist brain wants to be really angry at the fact that you did not drink those in Roy G. Biv order. I did not. Um, <laughs> I thought about it, but they're still in a like spectrum. They still go. They're just not Roy G. Biv. But I did actually drink them in like order. But I did it based on the fact that. Of like how much alcohol was in them, and that I wanted to get most of the blue curacao out of the way. No, that's first. fair. That's fair. But we've only got like fifteen minutes left, so I'm just gonna YOLO and do the purple one. Yeah, one purple. Too, which is it's gonna look gray on the screen because it's not like super purple, but yeah. good enough. That's the second strongest one, and it's also the one with the other most blue blue curacao. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. It's like brain freeze sweet. Ew. <laughs> oh. The only thing allowed to do that is chocolate cake. Yeah, but chocolate cake has that nice, like, bitter richness. This is just, like, this is, like... That's why chocolate cake's allowed to do that. That's Chocolate yeah. cake is allowed to do whatever it wants because it's made of chocolate. <laughs> That's what this is. This is, like, cheap buttercream frosting sweet. Oh, no. Yeah. <sighs> okay. We finished that. Okay, but that's actually our bullet 
point list. So mm. do you have any final thoughts? Does anybody in chat have any other questions about stand we didn't actually talk about standalones that much? No. Um, which I feel bad, but standalones are I don't want to say easier because you do have less space and you have to prioritize that space. So maybe that's what we should talk about a little bit is how are standalones like their own beast? Uh, oh my gosh. You call them a beast and I'm like, no, no, they're not beasts. They're so much easier. Um, to me, they are easier, but they there is a level of skill you need to be able to tell oh, for sure. a full, well-rounded story in one book. And I think a lot of that is just learning and craft mm -hmm. and being able to be concise. Yep. Um, not learning which subplots and plot bunnies are worth following and which ones have to be cut. Um, I think that's actually probably the biggest mm -hmm. drawback in people who who are working on some early books and starting series is you get all these ideas for this world and these characters and oh, what if this side character had their own spinoff and what if these people and sometimes those should be followed sometimes they do great things mm -hmm. um but the judgment call of learning where to cut that off and when when it's worth pursuing and when it's not is just something that kind of comes with time and practice with the two standalones that i have done and the one standalone that you have done i think the common <laughs> denominator is when you're writing them yeah you put you end up putting too much in and you're not able to dig deep enough into any of it so you end up having to cut either a character or an idea or you know because you've got a lot you want to play with and then you have to like take legos away <laughs> yeah and that was the big problem that happened with my standalone in the last round of critiques i got was that i went too wide and shallow and there wasn't enough depth and so i had to like cut out characters combine characters so i could go deeper with them in the amount of words i had i will say and this uh, and we kind of briefly talked about this and we actually didn't bring it up here but i feel like that sort of really like liking the deepness of characters in a standalone because i do often think that you learn a lot more about one character in a standalone than you do in a series because in a series you're learning about a lot of stuff whereas in a standalone you're learning a lot about one or two maybe three things and i do think we mentioned this genre is a huge player in mm -hmm. that because like for instance if a lot of literary fiction not all of it but a lot of it is yeah. standalone and if you like literary fiction you know what you're getting into is a very deep story about probably one or two characters and it's gonna be kind of uh not always um i don't i don't want to it's going to be like a character exploration yeah is usually what literary is yeah it's like it's more like you're you're sinking into one little an issue that grows bigger and bigger and bigger and then is somehow resolved in the end rather than an issue in a series that gets bigger and has a lot of players and has more generations or uh, magic involved, you know. More subplots. Yeah. So it's, I'd say that. I, I think standalones, learning how to do standalones is about developing your ability to be concise with your words mm -hmm. and also effective with the words that you use. And like we said, kind of paring down to, to what's most important so that you can go deep with those things and not have too many threads 
going. Because yeah. in a series, you can kind of start building threads and then be like, we'll talk more about this in book two, mm -hmm. but I'm just seeding some stuff in. But in, in a standalone, you don't have that. And standalone, if you have a subplot, it has to get wrapped up in book one because that's all you got. Yeah. And, I, and I will say that as somebody who has written both uh, I started with a series and then wrote a standalone. I am so excited to go back and rewrite the first book of that series with the knowledge that I've gained <laughs> from writing standalones because standalones force you to finish. Yeah. Like they, it forces you to wrap everything up and taking that knowledge um, and, and bringing it into a book one of a series is going to be awesome. Like I'm super excited yeah. about it. They, they both help you develop skills that you can bring yeah. together. Yep. Yeah. It's that's true. It's very nice. So like try to write both. Like I know this is kind yeah. of a podcast where we sort of give a some advice and my advice is try to write both. <laughs> like and I do everything. Yeah, and, and, and I've said the same thing about short stories. I I started writing short stories before I started my uh standalone books, and that actually helped me write the standalone books because short stories have to be very small. It's try a little bit of everything and just sort of adopt and adapt what you can it's in some ways kind of like <laughs> this is a weird tangent but i promise it's going to come back around um i i've had a lot of these shots I'm <laughs> mild. i've still had some um but it's when i joined twitter and started having to i joined twitter what? before they extended the the tweet limit uh the character limit but it's because there for a while you had 140 characters so if you wanted to say mm -hmm. something you had to condense it and so I had to learn how to be like, okay, I've got three sentences to say what I want to say. How do I make these most effective? And that actually helped me with my writing mm -hmm. <laughs> because I would notice a lot of the things we've talked about in other episodes, which is like things like so that's or extra words, or I was meandering away from the point and had to get back to it. Nowadays, I have very mixed feelings about Twitter. I just shit post on Twitter. I've decided that yeah. my Twitter account is for shit posting. So if you want to watch somebody shit post for the next three years, uh, go follow my Twitter. Maybe that's what I need to do with mine. Cause I just, I think I shit posted last night about Joel Kinnaman's armpit or something. It was, uh, yeah, just, you yeah. know, anyway, completely off. And tortillas and the smell of tortillas. <laughs> completely off topic. <laughs> but yeah, that's learning to have, like forcing myself to be concise taught me something about another aspect of writing. And that's not exactly, I'm not saying, do twitter but like that's kind of a, a microcosm of the do a standalone it will tell you it will teach you things that you can bring into a series and if you do a series it will teach you things you can bring into standalones um so it's about just kind of like experimenting with both figuring out where you should be with both um and honestly trying both will help you teach you what you like best i thought i always wanted to write series um i thought the first book was like one book but i was like i can write more spinoffs i had ideas for spinoffs and other characters and yeah all that stuff but then as i started writing it as a series and then did this standalone i'm like oh i like standalones <laughs> <laughs> this is this is good i like these let's keep doing these but i would have expected to keep doing series if i hadn't tried Mm -hmm. doing a standalone and realized i loved it yeah it is a lot of fun if you haven't tried it try it yeah whichever one you do most often yeah try the other yeah just give it try a shot it. just on the side just for funsies so okay well it looks like we don't have no questions, any questions. from our from our rather talkative uh um yeah i really enjoyed people yeah thank you this time that's yeah, it was nice always nice having people actually respond <laughs> <laughs> People to interact we with are losers. Instead, of, <laughs> instead of us just being weird at each other.
yeah. Super weird. My God, my lights just turned off. What just happened? I guess it's time to go. Where's Pookie? You're in the dark. There's Pookie in here. Oh, it's just... you. You look like Blair Witch Project. <laughs> turn on your turn on your drink glass. Oh my God! It'll give you light. Yeah, this is great content for those listening on audio later. Great content. Yeah. <laughs> It's because it's it's because my um it's because the uh, cactus light just turned off. I keep a psychedelic cactus because oh. I'm a bad boy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I talk first. Our next episode <laughs> is on February fourth, and will be about writing sex scenes. Yes, just in time <laughs> for Valentine's Day. Please be forewarned. This will be a mature content episode. There are going to be penises. Uh, yeah. yeah. I had to look up Twitch's um rules. Yeah. Yeah. For this one. But we'll be, be okay. It's going to be filthy. Uh, join yeah. us for the filth at li- uh, live at 7.30 p.m. Educational filth. Uh, educate- Twitch guideline. Educational it is educational filth. filth. I promise. So it's super educational. <laughs> uh, uh, so join us live at 7.30 p.m. Or listen on audio afterward. It will be educational filth. I promise. <laughs> And um, you can find everything you need at anditswriting.com. Look us up on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere else you listen. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at anditswriting for episode updates and notifications or join our Discord group with information on our website. Uh, we'd also love it if you left us a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, which now allows ratings for podcasts. Um, it does help the algorithm so that other people find us. And thank you. And we will see you again soon. Bye.